Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Users First, a UX design podcast. I'm your host, Alessio Ferracuti, and today our special guest is Christian Richards, an enthusiastic, strategically-minded individual with a passion for solution-driven thinking. Experience working alongside startups with small, medium, and large enterprises to help implement growth strategies and define their brand. Christian is also experienced in research and analysis, as well as leading teams and working with C-suite individuals from startups to large public sector organizations across the UK and the US. Welcome, Christian, to the User's First Podcast. How are you today? Hey, Alessio. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm pleased to be here and have, have a bit of a chat. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Thanks, thanks for coming by. I know you're a very busy man and you have a lot of things going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. Mm-hmm. And congratulations on um, your position to uh, Equator uh, recently. Oh, thank you. Yeah, how, how do you like it there? Oh, it's great. It's a really, really um, great environment to work in, but also a really, really good team. So it's five of us in the strategy team um, and a good mix of um, kind of more junior people like myself that are maybe kind of relatively new to the industry. And then people that have been there for, for years know their stuff inside out and a really great it's kind of mentoring environment. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. excited, excited mm-hmm. to be there. I know personally. that the people in Equator um, are called uh, like the strategists. Uh, what, what is the difference between a design agency and a strategist agency? So I suppose the the role of the strategy team at Equator, so Equator is kind of a full service agency. So we do everything from your kind of marketing to your design all the way through to kind of your development. So where, where strategy comes in is we sit down with the clients normally at the very beginning and we look at maybe the brief that they've given us and the problems that they have or what they want is normally how it starts. And then we sit down and be like, right, you've come to us wanting a new website. Why is that the case? And really getting underneath the skin of actually not just what the brief is, what are the problems that have led to this brief? What do you actually want to change? And then working with them going forwards. So in some cases it can be kind of a, a website project, which can be quite UX focused. Um, in some cases, it can be maybe more of kind of an overarching service design, in some cases, brand strategy. So within the strategy team, we all have kind of our, our individual skill set. So I myself lean more towards the UX side, surprisingly enough. Um, but yeah, so it's it's maybe slightly broader than just a UX role, but within, I guess, the world of strategy, I am very UX leaning, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it ever happen that, uh, might be a silly question, but does it ever happen that you actually put hands on a prototype or anything like that? Um, to an extent, yeah. So we have um, uh, our design team that we work very closely alongside. So normally when, when it goes kind of over to the, over to the design team, we'll be working with them, um, kind of on a consulting basis and obviously going back and forth with the clients and then obviously prototypes will come out and then there'll be more testing. So we'll do all of the user testing. Um, so we do deal with prototypes, but as far as my role, I don't do any, kind of, I guess, designing on Sketch or Figma. Mm-hmm. I don't touch any of that stuff. It's very much the the research and kind of the analysis side of things that, that I do. Of course. And uh, to be honest, I think that's also like the path that I think I'm, I'm taking more uh, towards mm-hmm. uh, research and analysis and strategy. It just, it, it excites me a lot. But then it's, all, it's also nice to be, to be touching and seeing, you know, uh, the results of your work in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I cannot draw, I cannot design. Um, I looked at some UI courses over lockdown and decided absolutely not <laughs> I to, the, to the research and the, the strategic side of it. <laughs> yeah. I know, what you mean. I know what you mean. Also the, the UX design institute right now is having a, a UI cards, which I, I've heard good things about. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the one I looked at. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't expensive uh, either. It was, it was pretty no, affordable. I thought, it, I thought it was, it was really, really good value. Um, but um, maybe in the future, but not right now. Definitely. <laughs> but also, you know, if you're not a visual designer, you know, I think that's more like focused on who wants to be a visual designer. So mm. if you don't, if you don't want to be one, then exactly. there's not really that urge. 
of yeah, taking that the let the UI designers do the UI design. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But big shout out to the um, the UX design institute for sure because you know they're they're having um, the UI course, which is uh, very very good, and uh, I heard good things about it from uh, from people that have actually taken it, and also uh, their UX course, which is. Um, which is amazing, and me uh, and Bo- and Christian, uh, both of us took the same course, and you know we we got uh, great outcomes out of it. Yeah, yeah, we definitely. I don't think either of us would be here. <laughs> oh yeah, no, <laughs> for having sure. This conversation, um, if career gone changing. That. Yeah, career changing. Also, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that are great about that. I don't want to get too much into it. Maybe we can another time. Uh, I would like to talk about other things today. But uh, one of the great things about it is that if you have never worked in a company and you're scared, you know, like you don't know what a company looks like, you don't know uh, the mental models of a company, that curse will guide you through all these mental models and they will tell you what to do uh, if there is some, you know, there is like some stubborn uh, like a project manager or or like so or you have some tough colleagues to work with they they'll tell you your your ways around so it's not just yeah education. it looks at like the politics of a workplace as well doesn't it <laughs> yeah that's that's what you need practicality mm-hmm. yeah definitely, definitely. Uh, so Christian uh, get us a bit through your journey uh, towards UX design. So you had lots of lots of experiences that you know shaped you as an individual, as a professional. How did you get to the stage where you're at right now? Yeah, definitely. So I suppose best place to start is probably at uni. So I went to University of Edinburgh, um, did philosophy and theology there. And what really fascinated me and obviously made me pick that course was understanding kind of why people do things, understanding their reasons behind choices they make. And I suppose some people say the kind of the psychology behind it, I would maybe say that's maybe too scientific. The science side of it didn't really interest me. It was more the kind of why do people do things? What motivates people? Um, so that was kind of my, my uni days. And then after that, just um, kind of fell into a role really through um just looking online of a, a company that a friend worked for um, and saw a relationship manager job um, with um, a company in Edinburgh and a, a really new startup. Um, so with, with them um, for just under a year. Um, and a lot of my position there was being kind of the, the front line of working with um, teachers. So it was an education, um, an educational um, startup. And working with teachers, working with um, kind of higher up within the organize within the within the kind of the, the education curriculum, all the way up to um, kind of head of curriculums, head of schools, um, as well as actually working with kids. So a whole range of users we were using this product, um, and our role was, I suppose, to make sure they loved it, um, eventually get them to buy it. But what really intrigued me about it was hearing their their issues with it or their thoughts on it. Now we had a UX designer in-house who was absolutely fantastic and would would gather all of the research that we were out getting and the the outcomes that he managed to produce with this produce with this research was just fantastic and something that I found really interesting and inspiring. Um, he was what we call in the industry a bit of a UX unicorn. So could do everything from research all the way through to writing the code. Um, so initially thought it's not not possible for me to move into that role because I can't code, I can't draw any of that. Um, sadly, that organization had to kind of scale back their team slightly. Um, so I was let go of and then kind of a bit out of the blue fell into recruitment. Um, I actually got a call completely out of the blue when I was in the shower <laughs> um, from from this recruitment agency. And obviously at that point I was on the market. So I'd been speaking to a few recruiters, but they wanted to talk to me about actually being a recruiter. Um, it was it was something that was kind of within within the world of sales, within the world of kind of people, and also within the world of UX. That's what they wanted me to, to look at and focus on. Um, so it also gave me the opportunity to move back to Glasgow, which which was my plan. Um, so I jumped at that and then um, really started to get into the world of UX from a recruitment perspective. Um, I know a lot of people hate recruiters. There are a lot of bad recruiters out there. <laughs> um, and I, I definitely didn't want to 
to be to be tarred with that. And certainly the the core team that I worked with and the team at Eden Scott, which was where I worked, um, were fantastic. Very much um, could not speak highly enough for them. People that are actually passionate about the industries they work in. They don't necessarily. They wouldn't say they work in recruitment. They work in tech. They just happen to recruit for tech, and so on. Um, so through that, I guess just met hundreds of UX designers, UX researchers, absolutely everybody across Scotland really um, was was my focus. So Glasgow and Edinburgh, I was between the two constantly. And I think from that really saw that the world of UX was booming and also was incredibly broad that um, my previous colleague who could do absolutely anything um, within the world of UX was very much the anomaly. It was people are very skilled in specific parts. And from that, my interest just really grew. Um, I then discovered the UX Design Institute, which we've already briefly touched on um, through um, a mutual connection and signed up for their UX diploma. Um, went through that and as my network was growing, I was starting to have conversations and build my portfolio. And then one of those conversations turned into what I thought would just be a casual conversation um, in person, which then turned into a full-on interview. Um, a week later, I met one of the directors at Equator. And then the week after that, I was offered a job. So it <laughs> was, was very much um, just through, through conversations that I ended up at Equator. Um, and yeah, January, I joined them. Um, and been there ever since and, and loving it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, from, from your story, uh, which I love, by the way, uh, <laughs> you can really tell like, that you have such a, such a like wide network and you really are in the business. You are like out there making connections, uh, getting to know people and eventually opportunities just get to you so easily. And I think that's one of the keys to, to these, to this design field, you know, like be super friendly, sociable, mm -hmm help each other and, you know, eventually good things will come for you and, and for others as well. That's one of the things that uh, some people in the industry don't, don't want to do. Like you said, you know, there is like some bad recruiters. I think there is also like some, some people that are not willing to do that and they'll never get opportunities just, just like you did, which is amazing. And I, I, I function the same way. Um, I, I try to do the same thing, you know, that's how we met, uh, networking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I was curious to know, um, in your time during recruiting, I would also, mm -hmm. uh, like later to touch a bit about, uh, your, your strategy, um, during the, your time recruiting, uh, what did you see that, um, what did you notice that employers wanted to see the most from UX designers when, when they were recruiting, they would tell you, you know, Hey, Christian, you know, we need, we need this, we need that. We need, we need this. What, mm -hmm. what was their expectations towards a UX designers? Because there is a big difference between the description job and the actual mental model of the employer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, you see, I think it, it, it's an issue in the tech industry in general that, you see these job descriptions coming out or adverts being posted that they want somebody that can do absolutely everything and has 35 years experience doing this and doing this and they want to pay them 20 grand. And it's, so that, that was normally the biggest um, issue of being like, right, you've actually given me four jobs. You want one person to do four jobs. Like these people don't exist. If they do exist, they're probably in a bank or in London contracting on a hundred or on a thousand a day. <laughs> like the, the skill set that you want doesn't exist. So there, there was that side of things where you'd want somebody that's got research experience and analytics experience and could design and could code. So it was, it was having those conversations of actually getting down to what is the core problem? What do you want to, what do you want this role to do? A lot of the times people decided they wanted to build an app. Then it was, okay, do you even need an app? Like, is, is this actually a necessary hire to have, or would it not be better to actually utilize this budget that you've got somewhere else? Um, a lot of what I was doing was working with startups. So you were working with people that had maybe not hired before, maybe were, didn't really understand maybe what UX did, um, or they just kind of thought, a UX person was just another name for a developer. So a lot of it was the educational side of things of helping people understand 
what UX actually is mm-hmm. and helping them understand you can't just get someone to code it. You need to go through all of these steps. It's like having going to some builders and being like, right, I need you to build a really complex building for me. And then, well, we need an architect and we need someone to do surveys and we need to do land surveys. And until you've done all of those foundational things, you can't actually start building anything until you've done all this research. So those conversations were always interesting to have, certainly. Um, but when you did get to that, it always came down to someone that could think. Certainly the, the larger organizations that were maybe more established and actually knew, knew what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. It all came down to the ability to think and the ability to add value to an organization. I think with with an industry kind of as intricate as UX, it is very much a mindset you've got to have. Um, in in some other positions, maybe you just need someone that can do the job and can just do X, Y, and Z. Whereas actually within UX, there's more to it. You need to properly get into the mind of the users, get into the shoes and understand where people are coming from. So that was the biggest thing that that people looked for. And it was the the insight that that could bring. Um, also for a big thing that I guess kind of the, the, scaling companies, maybe startups that just had a big cash injection um, that were then looking to grow their team rapidly. We're looking for um, were people that had done it before. So people that were experienced in building quite niche products and they wanted them basically to copy and paste and, and do it there. So a lot of the conversations we had was, oh, can you just get us people from Skyscanner or from FanDuel or from FreeAgent? <laughs> because... Mm. Oh, they grew a product that's really easy to use and sold for a billion. You're like, well, we can try. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but um, I mean, yeah, for so startups, yeah, for startups, to, to, those people will get paid way more than you know. <laughs> the people yeah. like from Skyscanner and like big companies, they get paid too much for startups. I think it depends yeah, on the startup yeah. uh, budget, but usually, yeah, usually so that, that was that was always an issue we came across as well of, okay, we've got the ideal person, but how do we convince them? Do we want them to be purely money driven? We probably don't. So actually, because also you can't compete financially against banks because they just have way more money than you do. So it was very much helping sell the vision of the startup. So actually it's not, you're coming to be a UX designer here. It's you are going to be the lead helping shape this product, which has come in to revolutionize XYZ and helping kind of almost the companies sell themselves as a, as a potential employer um, because it's a super competitive industry right now. Um, I'm sure senior UXs are getting reached out to daily with, with job offers right now because there's just such demand. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, it was finding those people and then being able to, to sell them the company Um, and that sometimes was just purely based on this is what they're doing. Sometimes there were things like share options or the ability to build a team or the ability to, to be really kind of influential at that very early stage. Um, so yeah, that was a very long answer, but <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I love it. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you mentioned that in that period of, of your career after, after you got into recruitment, then you started actually, uh, selling this idea of, uh, research to, to startups, making mm-hmm. them understand, uh, the value, the value of, of, of design and, uh, and user research. And sometimes you need something that you thought you didn't need, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like in the case of the, of the, of the application that they actually didn't need, like you said, right. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, like you said that you were teaming up, you mentioned before that you were like teaming up uh, designers together. How mm-hmm. how do you do that? Like, how do you know that a designer is going to work well with another? And also, uh, this is a second question. Do you team up a junior with a senior? Yeah, I think in terms of, of seeing if, if designers would work together, you you can never really know. I think the the, the value of the Scotland UX community is it's quite small um, and it's a very social community. So a lot of people know a lot of people. So a a lot of the time um, people would know each other Mm -hmm. or they would know people that they could have 
conversations with of, Hey, we're looking to bring in, you know, John Smith. Are they any good? Do they actually know what they're talking about? I think you, you see a lot of people that will claim to work within UX design that are maybe kind of graphic designers that are just used to bashing out hi-fi wireframes. And that, that's not what it's about. That's, that's an element of it, certainly, and a very important element. But it, it was really understanding where people are coming from. And I think, again, it all comes back to mindset. I think one of my, I think, uh, early stage mentors that really helped me get into the industry, a guy called um, um, Ryan Kane, told me that it's all about mindset. And if you've not got that mindset, then you don't know what you're doing. And he, he was actually a hiring manager that I worked with professionally that then we, we became friends. Um, and he was one of the best clients to work with because we both knew what we were talking about. So he knew that if I was sending him somebody, they, they were sound, if that makes sense. And it comes down to that mindset and you could tell very quickly, even through looking at someone's portfolio, if they've got it and and it's something that I think you can learn, but if you had a portfolio that was maybe just hi-fi designs and it wasn't actually telling the story of what you did, you knew you had to dig a lot deeper because they might have that, that final stage and that hi-fi really important side of things, but that foundational elements that you've got to do before you start even building isn't there. So in terms of teaming up designers, uh, I think there was no, no specifically easy way to go about it. I think it, a lot of it was maybe conversations you'd have. Sometimes you would look to bring in a senior and they might know a few juniors that they want to bring into a team. If you're helping build out a company's whole UX team and you're putting in maybe like two or three people, you might put in the senior and mm-hmm. depending on where they're coming from, they might bring one or two people with them. They might know them already. Um, they might have even like helped them and mentored them. So a lot of it was just through networking and knowing who would be a good fit, knowing people's design style. Um, and, and then what, what was the second question again? Sorry, just give that uh, one to me. Second, yeah. I think you pretty much ans- answered like, <laughs> you know, how do you like put together juniors and seniors, but th- th- that was oh, pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, that was I pretty think much it. very much that kind of. Mm-hmm. I like what mentoring. you said about word of mouth for recruiting which is what recruiters don't do. Uh, most mm-hmm. recruiters will actually like hit you up on LinkedIn, like randomly mm-hmm. and harass you. And <laughs> <laughs> well, like I think word of mouth is the best and there, there wouldn't be a better place to do that than Scotland because in Scotland mm-hmm. it's so small, small community. Everybody knows each other. If you were like in United States or in some other country, you wouldn't be able to do that because city is so big it's impossible to get to know people so mm-hmm. we're actually very very lucky to be here yeah yeah definitely and i think that's when i was working in recruitment that was what i wanted to be known as i didn't i'd, I'd go along to ux meetups and i remember the, the first kind of one or two i went to i kind of not not felt like a bit of a fraud but kind of like a uh um a wolf in sheep's clothing of actually i'm just here to steal you all and see if there's any jobs on and get get things but as as you grow you and this maybe sounds a bit too disney but i feel like the ux community kind of got to know me as a person and then mm-hmm. and then if if jobs came in there were there were plenty of jobs that came in off the back of it because people knew that Firstly, I knew what I was talking about, that a UX designer wasn't a developer or a graphic designer or a this or a this. I specialized in, in this specific area, but mm-hmm. also, so jobs would come to me, but also candidates would come to me and I would, I would take the time to meet with junior candidates and people that I knew probably I couldn't help professionally, but I, I looked at a lot of portfolios and I knew a lot of people. So actually, if I could try and help you out, then, then I would, I would absolutely try and do that. Um, and and yeah, I think recruitment does, doesn't have a great name. I think there's a lot of very good recruiters out there and there's a lot of bad recruiters. LinkedIn is, is a double-edged sword because sometimes you actually just need to put a hundred people into one project and send them all the exact same message because you need those kind of numbers and you just kind of need to go for that bit of a shotgun approach. And then in some cases it is very all about kind of knowing one specific person and you get mm-hmm. one job on, you know exactly who it is. You send one CV and then that's it. Yeah. But it's, 
mm-hmm. it's weighing that up and just making sure you're not spamming people, which I think it, it's frustration people get. Absolutely. Uh, right now, this this is quite of an interesting period for for recruiters and for people that are looking for a job because everything is 100% remotely. Mm-hmm. If you go on like an Indeed or like on AngelList where they have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, startups, postings, it, it, it's all, it says all like remotely. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. before, before, like I'm talking about one year ago, you, you will see only a few, a few remote uh, job positions. Well, mm-hmm. right now, right now it's, everything is remotely. So you don't even need to, you know, like drive to the city center and go to meetups anymore. You can just do everything from home. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 And I think it's, it's made a a huge change. And I think one, some, some issues we came across was maybe if you had candidates maybe had accessibility issues and a a building was on the third floor or a a company, even then that proved a huge issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas now actually everything's remote. All companies have had to set up for remote um, because if you hadn't, you would have fallen behind. So I think from an accessibility point of view, it's going to, there, there are people whose opportunities will have completely changed because of that ability. Um, but yeah, I'm seeing a, a lot of almost like all jobs now are are remote. But maybe say we work within um, like uh, British, what is it, British summertime hours, or we have this job. We are based in New York, but as you can work remotely, but we do yeah. work Eastern hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so quite it's an interesting thing. concept, this one, I think, because mm. <clears throat> I just would like to uh, brain, brainstorm uh, that in some different countries, you know, even mm-hmm. even though the, 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 like, uh, the currency is higher or, or mm-hmm. lower, some countries is higher, uh, the salary for, for designer is also higher. And, mm. you know, if you're working in a country where y- your salary is lower, you know, that would be a good opportunity for you to actually take advantage of that opportunity. I yeah, think yeah, absolutely. And I think, think that—that's what a lot of people are saying. Actually, well, I can get a New York-based job and get a hundred grand more than I'd get if it was in Manchester because just the cost of living is so expensive. And how do you yeah. how do you balance that out? And okay, well, if you choose to live in New York and you pay ridiculous rents, but you're you're doing the yeah. exact same job of somebody that could live somewhere and pay a quarter of the rent. <laughs> yeah. That's it's, the it's thing about cities. How, how the cities are that. proportional, but if you can mm-hmm. break that proportion at your advantage, yeah. mm-hmm. that's great. Like a, like a, a rent in New York, easy, normal rent is like $2,000 uh, mm-hmm. $2, per month. Yeah, like, a, like a, I'm talking about like a crappy, like a crappy yeah. apartment. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm talking about low class, like Brooklyn, mm-hmm. like social housings. Mm-hmm. And Kind of, uh, and you know, uh, so even if you're making a ton of money, you're still not living the best. But if you can do that from England or from even Glasgow, literally in Glasgow with a New York salary, you, you're oh, living, that'd be pretty nice. Yeah, <laughs> you like, be, like that'd be quite nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like in a mansion, mansion uh, UX designer based. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> great. I had a question for you about um, startups. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> this is a bit more specific, uh, related to what you said, you know, when you, when you want to, when you want to make, understand the people, people in the startups, how to get involved, uh, with, uh, with the user research and designers mm-hmm. in generals. If I was, if I was, um, a recruiter or, or someone in a company that wanted to, to, to give value to user research and make uh, employers uh, and the CEOs or whoever is in charge understand the importance of design and user research, but I'm having a hard time. How would you approach that? How would you uh, persuade uh, the people on top of you that this is important and needs to be done? Mm. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a very good question. I think a very prominent issue and certainly even in even at Equator, um, we're regularly speaking to clients and that will say, oh, well, we, we've done, we've done the research. We know that we know this. And it's like, well, do you, do you know this? Like, how do you know this? And, and especially right now where, where everybody's budgets are, are tighter, the first thing that people want to get rid of normally is the research because developing an app the actual coding time is going to take how long it takes. The thing that is flexible and the thing that maybe people don't understand the importance of is the time it takes to do that research and the analysis. Um, what 
the, the 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 best one that comes to mind is with it's not actually with a startup it's with quite a large um kind of corporate that i used to do quite a bit of work with and actually a, a contact that i made at ux glasgow um that they were trying to prove to their kind of directors that they needed to invest in digital they needed to invest in ux um they just brought out um, a new app that they were getting all of their clients um, to use with the hope of trying to close one of their call centers. So we'll move everybody online, get everybody off the phones, save money. Great. Um, and it was terrible, like absolutely terrible. I don't know who had designed it, but they mm. clearly done no research. They actually had to end up hiring even more call handlers because of the issues that, that caused it was basically um, a lot of these people that were maybe using this app, maybe English wasn't their first language. Maybe um, they, their, their education was not at, at a point where at their age it should be. Um, but you'd go onto the app. It was really confusing. It wasn't hard. It wasn't easy to use. The one thing that the developer had done was put the phone number slap bang in the middle at the top. And if you clicked on that, then it came up and called them. So the, the, the one thing they'd actually done right of actually making the mobile number click through to call hmm. was terrible because people were going, people were being pushed to this website, had absolutely no idea what to do and would just call the number, <laughs> <laughs> which would then, so, it, and I think that's, that's the issue is if you've got the money to prove them wrong and the time, that is the easiest way because we can categorically say you tried it. It didn't work that you've already invested a ton of money in it and you've been absolutely hit in the wallet because it all went wrong. Now let's try and do it our way. Um, the issue is very few people have, or very few organizations have that kind of money. And also nobody wants to, nobody wants to learn by failing it's a good way to learn, but nobody wants to do it. So I think case studies are a good example of proving that this company tried to do this, it backfired. But I think you can you can do guerrilla testing super cheap. And I think a lot of people get scared about usability testing because it's a big word and it's done by UX designers and no one really knows what it is. But actually, it's going up to somebody and saying, does like here's here's this website go up to a stranger on the street and be like we'll give you a bar of chocolate for two minutes of your time can you do xyz and then you film them or whatever and they can't done like it's it can get super super technical and um well, we, we were talking earlier about when, when you spoke to David Hamill, who's kind of the, the, the Glasgow or the Scottish king of usability tests, um, <laughs> that, that he could speak to it significantly better than I could. But you, you just need, I think, to get buy-in, you just need to prove that it works. And at the end of the day, these, the people that will be making the decisions are business people. So if you can prove from a business sense it works, if you can say spending X on this will save X in the long run, then they will invest in it. I think there can be stigma around. You've almost got to try and justify we need to do this and we we're on the back foot. But actually, if you just go in with that expectation of this is what we're going to do and it, it depends on the relationship you have, I suppose. But if you say we need to do X, Y, Z in the same way that you're saying it's going to take a hundred hours to write all the code for this and you say it, we need X many hours to do the research then it's, it's selling. I think that's, that's what it is at the end of the day. If you have to justify it to your bosses or to yeah. whoever you have to sell it to them. But if you go in with the expectation and, and then almost when they push back, it's almost as if they're in the wrong. Um, yeah. it's maybe getting into a bit of a selling podcast. No, no, I think <laughs> you're, I think you're right about that. You made a, you made an excellent point because I think that's where people lack sometimes they, it's good, you know, it's great if you're an expert in, in your sector, in, in your in your specific uh, field, which is in, the, in your case, uh, strategy, in some other people is usability testing, in some other people is research. But it's also uh, great for, for, for the company and for yourself mm -hmm. as well to know other aspects of the, of the fields involved, such as mm -hmm. business, such as sales, such as uh, customer departments and uh, 
development, coding, and other things. Just to have a, a general, just to have a, like a general understanding. And related to what you said, with startups, I think having that understanding of um, sales and having an understanding mm-hmm. of business, it's extremely important because. You're talking to business people. Uh, you have to talk a bit business <laughs> to, mm. yeah, to convince exactly. them. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you can't ask for 15 grand to do research or usability if there's not 15 grand. You have to make it work, whatever the scale. Your your huge banks and your huge corporates can spend stupid amounts of money doing research, but actually you've got to look at what kind of insights are they getting that I could build an app and I could stand in the middle of Buchanan street and ask people and do, do a quick usability test. And yes, you might not get in as much depth as you would if you had a full on lab that you dropped thousands of pounds on, but you can get the gist of it (laughs) and then you can build on that. So I think that works too. Yeah. It would be just like an example to show that that works, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. If like you can a, prove like a that the concept mm-hmm. works, and again, it's, I think people that work in UX should should be able to do this. You've got to get into the mind of the the, the business of the CEO or the, the the finance team. That if you can prove that this works, great, let's invest in it. But also, you've got to have that expectation of right, we're going to do this. And if they then come back and be like, oh, we don't have budget for that, we're like, well, we can't do it then. Mm-hmm. We, we can try and make it work, but you don't have, you shouldn't ask for times to usability. You should assume that we, you've got it on a project because that's as important as the time writing the code or the time designing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, of course, that makes mm-hmm. sense. There is a ton of ways related to that. Uh, just on top of my head, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. Then I'm gonna ask you something else that, that you can do usability testing. So you can go in coffee shops. You know, you can like in universities. You can stop like students and ask them to do a usability testing for you. Like in libraries, there mm-hmm. is like literally a ton of ways. And I think it's great to you know to make a comparison with other. Uh, we, we previous products that broke because of like, because the research mm-hmm. wasn't done. I think that's a great, great example. And also like uh, actually taking your initiative to show that something works always, you know, to, 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 to show the outcomes of it. I think that is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a question related to, um, you know, to your career and your expectations moving to UX design. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've worked many years as, as, as a, as a recruiter, <clears throat> Uh, for for UX designers, for user researchers, um, trying to make people understand the the relevance of research. But uh, what was like your actual expectations and experience once you moved into strategy and you started doing things hands on? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the 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 biggest thing that I've learned. Well, the biggest thing I was expecting going in is, is the classic mindset of kind of, you are not the user. And it's, it's always keeping that in mind. And it's so easy to slip back into it. And, and I, I thought, oh, like it's, it's dead easy. You just, you are not the user. And it's, everyone knows that you talk to anybody, you look at any UX course, that's the first thing that they talk about, but it's so easy to just, slip back into, oh, well, we'll just do this. And then you've got to question, oh, why? Well, because we just do, (laughs) (laughs) but it's reminding yourself that, that, that that's, that that's the case. And also I was um, listening to uh, a keynote speaker from some UX conference I found on YouTube a few weeks ago. And it was saying that people don't care about your product. People just use your product that, um, if you want, if, if you want people to really invest in it, people aren't going to be sitting actively focusing on it with no, like you would in a workplace environment, people, mm-hmm. know, let's, let's say it's car insurance. Everyone hates doing car insurance It is the worst thing in the world. But if you work as a UX designer in car insurance, that's all, you know, and that's your nine to five and you're focused on it. Whereas actually for your normal family, it might be 9 PM. You've just made dinner. You might have just, I don't know, put the kids to bed. You're knackered. You sit down in front of the sofa. You've got kind of the office on in the background and you think, oh, I've got to do this. And you're doing it on your phone 
half asleep, half watching the office. Mm-hmm. It's so it's it's remembering that your job is to make it as simple as possible for them. Um, almost kind of a, a good UX designer doesn't mm. get noticed. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Because um, like, you you, you mm. don't think about when websites work well. You don't book a train ticket online and you're like, oh wow, that was such an amazing experience. <laughs> that was fantastic. Um, they you you have a terrible experience of doing something and you get really really annoyed and then you don't use that website anymore or you do what I do when you go on LinkedIn and you find out who the UX designer is and <laughs> profile. So they view you back and then they feel bad for being terrible at their job. Um, so it, it's that thing of just having that constant reminder that you need to be doing that research. So I think that was, I, I did g- going into the industry, I did expect that to be the case, but I think I didn't necessarily realize how much you need to remind yourself of that. Um, yeah. And I think the other big thing um, that really stood out was, and I think maybe that's because, because I work in an, in an agency and agencies just moved, move very fast by the nature of agencies is that you are part of a wider team that yes, the research is important and yes, all the testing is important. And we've just spent whatever million hours saying how important all of this stuff is. But at the end of the day, you are part of a product team and you need to be working alongside all of these people to get a product shipped out. And if, if you're a startup, you might run out of money. If you work for an agency, you might run out of budget. So it's, it's being efficient in those things. Um, and I think with, with the UX design Institute, which we, we both went through, um, it, it takes you step by step by step all the way through the different ways. Um, and, and in reality, you, you don't go into that much detail. Those, those, that's absolutely great as a foundation because it's important, but you, you do a lot of steps in your head. Maybe you're not going to be yeah. sketching it out roughly on paper and then using a ruler and making it really neat and drawing out <laughs> all the interactions on paper and then putting it into sketch and then doing it into this. Normally you're maybe throwing it onto post-its or scribbling it in a notebook and then sticking it straight onto sketch. Or so it, it's reminding yourself that you're part of that wider team, I think. And then, and then having to navigate the politics that you get in any workplace and any project team that everyone is a specialist in their industry and also probably everyone thinks that their role is the most important yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so it's so it's dealing with that um mm-hmm. as well as then dealing with clients as well or bosses or whoever's whoever's got the purse strings because that's normally the one at the end of the day that gets to make the final call yeah 100 percent and you know i know many people that actually have that luxury of being able to procrastinate a bit more in their in their process and i think mm-hmm. that's that's literally a, a luxury and that's more like bank uh, jobs related or, or like uh, government uh, jobs mm-hmm. related you know where you can do just like the normal nine to five and and that's it but i know that most agencies sometimes you have to do that um that overnight i guess yeah <laughs> that's what keeps it interesting though isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah like like uh like uh, donald traber type of night yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> like uh with, with your whiskey at midnight just coming up yeah. with the best ideas yeah, and you just write it on the back of a napkin in a in a yeah. bar somewhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i feel it was a what was it there was an episode that um that uh, one of the guys from uh, what's the called uh, what's the TV show called uh, Mad Men Mad Men yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, 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 this this guy was was smoking weed in the office like at one or two o'clock in the morning with with his uh, with his uh, cl- um, colleagues mm-hmm. and uh, you know they were trying to come up with ideas for advertising and so on and in uh, he writes this amazing idea that he thought that he was going to change the company and the the, the, the whole and he was going to get more clients and so on mm-hmm. so he wrote it on the back of the napkin and. And then in the morning when he woke up, he couldn't find the napkin. So he was like, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there is, there is consequences. The drive. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is consequences uh, with working at night though. Like sometimes you think like, oh, I'm going to have like the best idea now. Now at like 1130 at night, I'm going to change everything. Mm-hmm. And then because like you get ambitious at night for some reason. And uh, at least I'm like that. And then in the morning yeah. I wake up and you find like, you know. Oh, that, that that wasn't what I thought I did. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I've I've been fortunate. The the only overnight work I've ever had to do was in fourth year of uni. Oh, <laughs> Luckily, Equator is while being an agency and being pretty fast, the work life balance is pretty pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's way too important. Like yeah, if you yeah, I think people are realizing that nowadays that you're just going to burn out your team if you're mm-hmm. making them work a hundred hours a week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, right now, uh, last week I was in a conference and uh, some people were saying that, you know, on average right now workers, especially remote workers are working three hours a day more than average. And some okay. people, uh, especially that have more responsibilities, uh, hmm. don't get off at all. <laughs> yeah. Don't get yeah. That's I, crazy. Think, yeah. I think it's difficult because you don't have kind of anywhere to go. So I think like in, in, in my flat, for instance, I, I try and work in the living room, but sometimes I have to work in my bedroom and you kind of wake up and you just sit down and then you're done as opposed to, I think, you were, I think in, in the housing market, everyone nowadays is looking to have a work from home office because you can, it can get to five, five thirty, and you can close that door. Um, whereas now people are used to leaving the house at eight and getting back at seven because you've got commutes involved, but now they're just working that and not taking lunch hours because there's nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. I know um, what you mean. So it's, it's just getting that but balance, yeah, I think. We, but, we're dealing with it. You know, it's a new world. We're, we're adjusting, I think, I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully mm-hmm. we'll give it. Uh, yeah. You know, I was wondering, uh, one, one of the wrap up questions that I had, uh, if I was, if I was, a you know, <clears throat> if I was a graduate student, you know, like I was some time ago and, you know, if, if I, if, um, I had the opportunity to to talk to you and uh, you know ask you for for some tips on uh, you know on what I should what I should do to you know to to get myself out there and and uh, get a job you know like get mm-hmm. a like a proper job for myself. Uh, what would your top tips be for me? Oh, I think it, it's it's all about networking. It's all about getting known in industry. And just getting your name out there. I think at the end of the day, you are your own brand. Um, people talk, and especially in industry like UX in, in Scotland, it is a very small industry and a very um, kind industry that if you... Oh, I think we, we were in that position where we were wanting to get into an industry and we were juniors and we went along to meet up. Some people helped us and people connected us with other people and people looked at our portfolios and tagged us in job adverts and recommended us. Um, so it's, it's all about just getting your name out there, I think, and meeting people and joining meetups and asking questions. I think a lot of juniors maybe have the tendency to feel that they're not qualified to ask questions at these kind of events or excuse me, or speak up. Um, but kind of just, just do it really. Cause I think the, if you ask, a, if you ask a question, people are going to remember your name. If it's a stupid question, people aren't going to care. Like maybe in a few years time, they might kind of <laughs> jokingly make fun of you from remember, remember that time that you asked this, but it, it's that, it's that fear I think of people have of, of being judged. Um, and I think just the, the imposter syndrome that comes along with it, maybe, <laughs> Um, so just talk to people, get help from seniors, ask people to look at your portfolio, ask people, if you don't know how sketch works or a certain product works, just message somebody and either, I suppose nowadays ask to do a zoom call with them and screen share and they talk you through it because people will, people do have the time for that. And I think because it is such a supportive industry, people, people like you and I, and and loads of other people I know that have been in that similar position who now maybe have networks and vaguely know what they're talking about. are more than happy to chat to juniors and to help out people and to look at portfolios. So just, just kind of being brave. And I think speaking up would be my biggest, my biggest piece of advice and also just apply for everything. Um, job adverts nowadays are asking the absolute world and getting nothing. So people might go on and be like, oh, well, I don't have X, Y, Z, or I don't have experience using Adobe XD. I've only ever used Sketch. But like, just apply for it because 
the hiring manager probably doesn't care. Like the UX team probably don't care what you use. And also surprisingly enough, UX tools are quite user-friendly and easy to use. I once, I once had a, a candidate through for a job who'd never used Sketch before, um, had only used XD. And he was like, oh, well, shall I say I can use it? And I was like, well, yeah. Because if you get offered the job, you're on a two-month notice period, you can learn how to use Sketch in two months. It is dead easy to use. It's exactly the same. So not being afraid to, to just apply for everything. Um, realistically, and juniors probably aren't going to want to hear this, but recruiters probably can't help you. Um, just the nature of junior roles, people don't go to recruiters for them, or they tend not to use recruiters because they have to pay pay a fee and they can typically do it in-house. So yeah, I suppose don't necessarily expect a recruiter to have a job for you because realistically they're probably not going to. They'll they'll no doubt have a conversation with you and look at your CV and help you out. But calling up one recruiter and then expecting to get a job out of it probably not going to happen. Whereas actually spend that time. Like I messaged the head of UX at FanDuel out of the blue and was just like, Hey, I'm really interested in this. I'm wanting to learn more. Can I buy you a coffee? And he replied and some people probably won't. Some people will. And yeah, Andy Lobbin, he's a great guy. He helped me out a lot. He talked with me a lot about what he looks for. Um, and that was literally just a LinkedIn message out of the blue. So I think that would be my biggest piece of advice. And, and yeah, message Alessio, message, message me. We're on LinkedIn. We're on everything. Um, so, sure. um, yeah, I suppose that would be my piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and no, definitely. Uh, uh right now, um, I'll, I'll ask also, uh, your contact details. So if people want to contact you and ask you some questions, you know, what, what would be the best place to contact you if someone, you know, had a couple of questions, maybe to go a bit more in depth of what you talked about today. Yeah. LinkedIn is the best way to get hold of me. Um, I think, although I'm not in recruitment anymore, I still spend far too much time on LinkedIn um, than I probably should. So that's the best way to get hold of me. Um, and yeah, and certainly always happy to have conversations, always happy to look at portfolios. And I still semi-regularly have people throwing jobs over to me that I pass on to people. So yeah, that's the best Great. way to get me. So if you are, if you're a beginning UX design, if you're beginning UX design and, uh, you know, you needed some tips. <laughs> Christian is the man. You know, he, he gave a lot of content right now in the in the in the episode. So take take uh, his word for the things that he said. And you know, don't don't be afraid to contact him. He helped me a lot in my career as well when I was in the beginning. Uh, actually, I didn't have the chance, uh, Christian. Thank you for that. So this is this is my, <laughs> no, this is my thank you. Yeah, it, 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 it was great. You know, he he knows his stuff and uh, he he's a very sociable guy. So you know, uh, make sure to get in touch with us if you need. Uh, Christian Richards, thank you so much, man, for, for joining us in this episode. I, I was really excited. No, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Thank you.